Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to the underworld. I love America. It's been my home all my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. In America, watch you and attract you every move. They're even putting poison in your food. In America, people occupy to see the truth. But it's too late, and there's nothing we can do. In America, just watch your favorite show and watch the news. So they can pick up any with your news. In America, obey the law, support the troops. And just get back, cause there's nothing we can do. I love America. It's been my home all my life. If you don't know the past, you're only doomed to repeat it. Welcome to Public Access America. This is your history. This is your country. This is America. Join us in listening to some of history's America's best speeches. Created by Jarcodes Productions. Go back in time with us right now on Public Access America. Geist and John Teagan, members of the Benghazi Annex Security Team and co-authors of the book, 13 Hours. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you America for showing us the support and the dedication that should have been offered by Hillary and her State Department to those who actually saved their asses. September 11, 2012 at approximately 9.35, 9.40, we got a call the U.S. Consulate had been overrun. We immediately got our gear ready to go. Got, got the vehicles ready, and we got, on three separate occasions, we got told to wait by the chief of base, Bob, and we got told to stand down. You know, next thing we know, we hear uh, the State Department over the radio saying, hey, if you guys don't get here, we're all going to die. Stand down in order to be damned. Embassies, the concert's under siege. We took off, we left. We weren't waiting no more. As uh, the three of us moved on to the consulate, uh, the first thing you see is uh, the main village just engulfed in fire and smoke, you know, and just just pouring out. Uh, moved up to the front steps of the consulate. Off to my right, I see them pulling a body out of the window. 
limp body and ended up being Sean Smith, and he was already dead of smoke inhalation by the time we showed up. Uh, myself and Ron continued to move. We went in, just the heat of the fire, you know, just blasting our face. The smoke just obliterated our, our sight, it was so thick. We tried to get on our bellies to see underneath the smoke. Uh, it was no luck. A little while later, Tonto and DB came through the back gate. As they moved away onto the consulate grounds, started searching. After a few minutes, Tonto went and helped the State Department guys uh, gather up the classified information, get them ready to go in their armored vehicle, and all of a sudden we end up getting a counter-assaulted. And at that time, instead of the State Department security agents jumping out and helping us defend their U.S. consulate, they took off, which left the six of us to defend the consulate. You know, I, I got out, went up on the, uh, the roof of the villa, made my way up to the, uh, towards the back gate. The guy who initiated was with an RPG. On his third shot as he's coming out, as I came over the top of the parapet, I let loose in about a 10-round volley and he dropped. It was calm for about five minutes, then we got word they're gathering about another hundred or so terrorists from the drone feed that good old Hillary is watching. And it came to a point where we had to make a decision. You know, at that time, we didn't know the U.S. ambassador was even still at the consulate. If he had been kidnapped, fired to us even getting there. But we're pretty sure if he was there, he was dead. You know, we had a responsibility of 30 other personnel over at the annex. So we had to make the tough decision. And we headed back to the annex without the ambassador. You know, as the team arrived back at the annex, we took up our fighting positions because we knew that they were going to be following up from the consulate and coming to our place. But, we, you know, we were ready for them. We started seeing movement on the east side of our compound. And then all of a sudden, something came flying over the wall, had sparks flying from it, landed between Tig and I and exploded. And that's when they opened up on us, but we also unleashed some hell on them. The first wave had about 20 terrorists in it. They went away with a whole lot less. After that uh, first initial firefight, you know, Oz, Ozzy's being kind of old, you know, he's like 40 years older than I am, so he, he had to pull out his med kit, <laughs> grab some gauze, he's like shoving it in his ear. It's really funny, it looks like he's got a tampon on his but it, sorry. But, you know, I kind of smile at him, I look at him and say, hey, you know, is that kind of loud much? And it, you know, that's because Tick come right up beside me, stuck his gun right here, fine, right next to my left ear. He can't hear out of it to this day, thanks to him. He should have moved. <laughs> you know, soon after that, we got word that the uh, support team from Tripoli, led by Glenn Doherty, had landed at Benghazi Airport. You think the airport security in the United States is bad, you ought to try landing at an airport in a foreign country controlled by a militia that you don't know who their loyalty is to, and you've got a bunch of guns and a bag of money. Thank goodness money talks. Mine doesn't. So, you know, going around 1.30 in the morning, you still have the U.S. ambassador, he's still missing. And, you know, still we got movement starting to come up again on our east side. And, you know, I get on the radio and said, hey, you know, hey, Bob, is there, uh, are they going to secure the outer perimeter? 
Again, you're looking at 1.30, about three and a half hours into the attack, and we get the answer, I don't know. Good intel. At that point, a vehicle actually came out of the darkness. A guy uh, jumped out of the vehicle, immediately drew his arm back. How I saw him, you know, old age with the eyes, he ended up picking him out, threw three rounds into him, he dropped like a back of a sack of potatoes, you know, and... You would take that guy out, and another guy would pop up, and then another guy would pop up. You know, it's kind of like that arcade game uh, down on the uh, main strip. You always go play whack-a-mole. Guy'd stick his head up, and you'd take him out. Another guy'd stick his head up, and you'd shoot him. <laughs> you know, pretty much about. A little bit after that, we uh, got a call that the uh, ambassador was located at the hospital in Benghazi. Um, you know, there was no way for us to determine if this was a valid, if he was alive, if he was dead. You know, we don't know if it could have been a, a trick for us, you know, to spread, our def to spread our defense, you know, and, you know, pretty much you know, just kind of screw everybody else over at the consulate. But, you know, we had, we, we had decided to stay put again. You know, at this time, I had moved from where I was at with TIG and got up on top of the roof and call it Building C. Now I was up there with uh, Tyrone. And, you know, me and, during the downtime, me and Tyrone had started talking about um, events that night. And Tyrone had told me about earlier that night when TIG had saved his life because he got lost in the smoke of the building over at the consulate. And he started yelling out for TIG. And TIG, with uh, total disregard for his own safety after having just come out of a the smoke-filled room, went back in and pulled Tig uh, and pulled Tyrone out. It was during that, you know, and we also, he was talking about his kids. And uh, it was really, because uh, all of us had a lot of young kids there, every one of us that was there. And heck, Jack had just found out that his wife had been pregnant. And so he had a newborn baby coming and, you know, none of us at that point knew if we were going to make it home or not. And this is getting on to about that time in the morning, about 530, when the sun starts coming up and you start seeing that change off on the horizon where the sky turns from really dark to that, that, that dark blue kind of starting to turn light blue. And you're hearing the morning prayers from uh, the minarets in the distance. About the time the, uh, the call for prayer finished, you know, we thought, hey, the next attack is going to be here. About that time when we heard over the radio that Glenn and the team from Tripoli had made their way uh, to the annex and were just getting ready to pull in. And when they did, instead of going inside the building, Tig, um, I'm sorry, Glenn, he came up on top of the roof. He wanted to get in the fight. So he joined us up there. You know, and Tyrone introduced me to Glenn because I'd never met him before. First thing out of my mouth was, it's good to have another gunfighter up on top of that roof. He kind of turned and started walking away from me, and it was about that time that the uh, final attack started. A rocket-propelled grenade hit the back wall, and small, small arms fire opened up from the north, right in front of me and Ty. A mortar hit on top of the, our outer wall, our outer perimeter wall, and the State Department guy yelled out that he was hit took some shrapnel up into his forehead. We opened up fire. Tyrone opened up with a machine gun. I opened up with my assault rifle. And that's when the second mortar hit. 
hit about 15 feet to my right. The explosion kind of knocked me back a little bit. And as I stood back up, I kind of noticed that Roan was in a fetal position to my left at my feet. And I raised my left hand up to grab my rifle and start shooting. And that's when I noticed that I was first injured. And my left arm about six inches above the, uh, above the wrist was kind of hanging off at a 90 degree angle. It was then that the third mortar hit. And as I glanced over my right shoulder, I noticed that Glenn went face down on the roof and he was out of the fight. I tried again to bring my arm up and grab my weapon because I wanted to get it back into the fight and it just wouldn't work. I couldn't get it to hold on. And that's when the fourth mortar hit. And that's really the first time that I ever felt like any pain that night. And it felt like I got stung by like a thousand bees. I figured at that time, this hard-headed Marine probably ought to get to some cover in case they drop another one on us. Simplify, thank you. So I dove for cover and everything went quiet. God bless you, thank you. I pulled the tourniquet out, started to get it on my arm, but I kind of got distracted. I wanted to check on Ron, so I crawled over, tried to find a pulse, couldn't find one. And it was about that time I saw a shadow come up on top of the roof, and that was Tig. The dust and debris still hadn't even finished falling when he got it, when he come up on that roof. I was, um, he kind of got scared where we were initially fighting out of, so he went on the roof. And, you know, as I'm standing there, and, you know, that first round, you know, he was saying the Rome was just laying hate pretty much. And, you know, when that first round hits, hits the roof, it just went dead quiet. Um, you know, the debris was so thick, you couldn't see the stars, you couldn't see, I mean, it just went pitch black, pitch quiet. I start moving towards the uh, building C, and I get on the radio and I said, hey, you guys all right up on building, up, up on building C? Um, of course, I didn't expect a response at all, but the, our, the team leader gets on the radio and says, you know, hey, we're all right in here. Of course, you have to tell them to shut up, talking about the guys up on the roof. Um, Jack gets on and says, hey, got no movement, ran over there. You know, first thing I do, and I, I jump over the parapet, the first guy I see is a state guy. He's kind of leaning up against the wall. He's got his pistol out. Uh, you know, his left leg just below the knees, almost completely severed off. His left arm below the elbow is almost completely severed off. And I had to disarm him really quick. Lucky he didn't shoot me. Um, maybe I got a medal if he would have, but I don't know. Um, I got I got two tourniquets, you know, put a tourniquet on his leg, put a tourniquet on his arm. You know, I'm, I'm asking for extra help from the guys below inside uh, the building. And, you know, the whole time I'm also doing that, I'm hearing kind of something like something crying behind me. It's kind of a weird sound. I don't usually hear that too often in combat. But, you know, it's like I, I get him done. I give him back his pistol. I unloaded it, of course, because, you know, you're not going to give him a loaded pistol back. But as I start moving across... You know, again, I can hear the whimpering, and the next, oh, the next thing I know, I, I notice it's Oz. He's kind of sitting his back up against the wall, playing with his wrist, you know, like a little kid, you know, like this. And I'm like, hey, dude, you need to quit doing that. You're going to make it worse. I kind of figured I was trying to put it back in place, but it wouldn't stay there. <laughs> yeah, I needed, I didn't have any super glue, but, uh, so, you know, he had his tourniquet out. I grabbed his tourniquet. Uh, I, I got his tourniquet on his arm, stood him up and said, hey, man, can you get to the ladder by yourself? I told him, yeah, because hell yeah, because I knew that Ty and Glenn still needed help. Somewhere in the back of my mind, I was still hoping that they were alive. So I walked over to the ladder that went down and uh, kind of sat up on the ledge. And I'm sitting there looking down thinking, okay, how am I going to get down off this thing? You know, I, I just survived two, uh, two or three assaults on our compound. 
and three mortars landed on me. And next thing you know, I'm sitting there thinking, my luck, I'm going to fall off this darn roof and break my neck. You know, those aren't the stories I want my kids to hear about how I died. I'm only, if I'm going to go out, I want to go out in a blaze of glory. So I ended up hooking my good arm on the top rung of the ladder and I was thinking I'm going to swing my feet down around and land on the ladder. But sure enough, you know, Murphy's Law, what can go wrong will go wrong. So right as I kind of slid my feet down, I fell off the ladder. Luckily, I caught myself with my good arm. I kind of pulled myself back up, got myself together and climbed on down the ladder. Turned to, walked around through the front of the building, uh, meeting one of our other guys coming out. And he walked me in and laid me down on the floor. And... I was sitting there and they were looking at me and I told them, you know, hey, you need to cut my clothes off because I know I got a bunch of other holes in me. I know there's a bunch of other wounds that need to be treated. So finally they got my clothes cut off of me and we found about 20 or 30 other shrapnel holes. Most of them were bleeding too bad, so we got the big ones plugged and uh, ready to go again. You know, that, after I got Oz up and, you know, he, he kind of mumbled a little bit because he, he lost his uh, cane. When the, when the mortars hit, so he, he didn't have a cane to walk across the roof anymore. Um, but, you know, immediately I went over to where uh, the next guy was, which was Roan. I rolled him over, uh, immediately checked for a pulse. His uh, throat moved just a little bit. I didn't get a pulse, so I immediately ripped off his body armor, you know, lift up his shirt, and did what we call look, listen, feel. Kind of put your ear on their mouth, so you're trying to heal, hear or feel their breath and see if their chest or their stomach's moving at all. I uh, didn't get anything. I uh, got the flashlight, uh, checked for a pupil dilation, and there was nothing. So at that moment, I, you know, I knew he was gone. And, you know, I knew Oz, he just went down. And, you know, so I knew the next radio call was going to be for him. And because the Roan was also our medic. Um, so I had announced, hey, you know, Roan's gone. Got up, moved over to the next guy, uh, which ended up being a you know, Glenn Doherty, Bub, again, same like Oz, never worked with him, never met him. Uh, rolled him over, same thing, checked for a pulse, look, listen, feel, uh, did a pupil dilation, the same thing, there was nothing. Uh, immediately went back over to Roan, grabbed all of his uh, weapons and stuff like that, kneeled down, said a prayer over him, went over, went over to Bub, and I'll grab his weapon system, kneeled down and said a prayer over him. At that time, you know, we all got off the roof and, you know, we knew we had to, we had to get out of there. Um, we had to get everyone that's out of there because there's nothing that we had that could defend against a mortar attack. And the fact that a building just got hit by three 81 millimeter mortars and it didn't collapse on everybody inside, well, it definitely wasn't the construction of the building, it was definitely from upstairs. It was the grace of God. Once we got all the, us, us wounded stabilized, we secured the dead, we made sure that we didn't have any critical information left behind, and that's when we made our way to the airport. To get there, we ended up having to enlist the uh, a militia. Happened to be Gaddafi loyalists. Those are the ones that helped, uh, that Hillary wanted to get out of, out of uh, Libya. They're the ones that helped the Americans get to the hospitals and get to the airport. When we got there, we loaded up the non-shooting personnel. I, was, I made my trip in the back of a Hilux pickup truck. It's kind of like a Toyota. 
Um, they came over me. I was sitting on a gurney, and they came over to grab the gurney. And that's when I kind of sat up, and I told them, I walked into Benghazi. I'm going to walk out. Yeah, and that was the same plane that had uh, brought Glenn and the guys down from Tripoli. But, you know, this, this was one of the planes that Glenn didn't make it back on. You know, the plane that they actually secured, the Tripoli team secured from a Libyan that they actually had just met that day. Again, I don't think it's really a coincidence. You know, we got, a, we got a, an overwatcher with us that night. You know, we got everybody loaded up, headed to Tripoli. And then we had to turn our task, because we got left, we didn't get left behind, we stayed behind because they couldn't hold everybody. Uh, again, the Gaddafi loyalist militia stepped up and said, hey, we can go get the ambassador. They took off, they came back, returned with the ambassador's body. Myself, Tonto, and one of the Delta Force guys, you know, made check sure, make sure it was him, looked him over. You know, he was wearing the exact same clothes he was wearing that morning when I saw him when uh, we went over there because there was a threat on a local, well, there was a threat on a government compound that day. And, you know, but he was wearing the exact same clothes. The only difference, you know, he had black soot on his feet, on his fingernails, around his ears, you know, and, but there was no sign of torture, no sign of mutilation. You know, it was obvious to us he died of smoke inhalation. And all those rumors about that happening to him and our old government not squashing it right away is a bunch of bull, bull crap. Um, you know, at that point, you know, we still didn't know how we were going to actually get out of there. Uh, several minutes go, you know, several, like, a lot of minutes go by. C-130 starts rolling down the, the runway. We're thinking, oh, this might be for us. It kind of comes a little bit closer, but then does a U-turn. Pulls off to a little hangar area and shuts down. We see all the crew get off, the pilots get off. You know, we kind of stand there for a little bit. Well, the team, one of the team members that came down from Tripoli and the linguist that came down from Tripoli went over there and it took them about 15 minutes or so and they kind of persuaded the, the pilots to take us back up to Tripoli. And again, the last American to leave Benghazi we didn't leave on an American plane, but we left on a Libyan plane flown by Libyans. You know, the first U.S. bird, any U.S. asset we saw wasn't a jet. It was a medical transport bird that took us all to Germany about 5 p.m. on September 12th. You know, at least 20 minutes after a siege, right? But it was about 20 minutes, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, in that night, there were more than 30 American lives that were saved that night. And it's because Americans never give up. We refuse to lose. Benghazi's been a four-letter word for the left, but it's not about politics. Benghazi was about opportunities. Opportunities taken when we defied the stand-down orders. And opportunities squandered when Hillary failed to protect her people on the ground. Had she done her job that night, 
Had she done her job that night, we wouldn't have had to compromise the annex. Ty, Glenn, Sean, and Ambassador Stevens would be alive today. Now, now we as Americans, we have an opportunity. And that opportunity is to elect, elect someone who will make this country safe again. We have to elect someone who will have our backs. Someone who will bring our guys home. Won't leave anybody behind. We have to elect someone who will lead with strength and integrity. And I believe that person is Donald Trump. We did our part. Every fallen veteran did their part. Now do yours. Now it's time to you do you do yours. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you all. Thank you, America. Hey, Petey, have you heard about this new podcast, Public Access America? You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, and even the Stitcher Smart Radio app. It's so cool. Not good, not. But are you a German spy? Because that sounds like technology. It's like that new thing, the radio, or a newspaper for your ears. You can even follow their production company, Jar Codes, on Twitter or Facebook and find all new episodes posted every day. Oh, that's cool. I don't care nothing about no planes, but I gotta hear the latest episode of Public Access America now. Oh, watch the bomb. You can even go to their YouTube channel at Public Access America and find great videos from our time. It's so cool. Go check out Public Access America. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise, and with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.